0: This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Week 15 in the Riptide on life support. Mitch Blyle thinks there's still a few more wins available, though. Rochester Nighthawks GM Dan Carey stops by, and he's not saying if they're buyers or sellers at the deadline. And we wonder, how do we stop Nets from coming off the magnets? All that more on OTCB. I am an outbomb. Good lacrosse fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, Spotify, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me jenner at gmail.com. We got a lot to get to. Two great guests in Dan Carey and Mr. Luxurious Mitch Belial. I don't think they call him that anymore, but He's probably got it on his business card still. We'll also set you up for week 15. We'll do a quick breakdown of week 14. And a reoccurring issue in the National Lacrosse League are nets coming off the magnets, virtual goal planes, whether the ball crossed the line or not. I've talked to a few goaltenders and a few league GMs and players. trying to find a solution to this issue. So we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Speaking of the lacrosse flash, if you haven't checked out the latest edition of Stripped with Tyson Geik and Colton Clark, you might want to do that. Their guest this week is Mike Poolen, and an incredible guest as always. He's a longtime friend of OTCB, always a great interview. And on Stripped, he's able to let a little bit more go than he is on most other podcasts. So I highly check. I recommend you check that one out. It is a must. Listen, so let's get into the National Lacrosse League as it stands. We are at week 15. Week 14 was one of the busiest we've seen all season as every team was in action and 12 of 13 were in action on Saturday night alone. As we get closer and closer to the playoffs, every week we have new playoff scenarios. Last week, at the end of week 13, when you looked at the playoffs, it was all intra-divisional matchups. Now, after week 14, all but one are inter-divisional playoff matchups. So with every game and every passing week, those top eight are swapping positions. Flip-flopping, as you will. And it's going to come down to the final weekend before we really suss this all out because it's just constantly changing with how tight the East and North are. Every game is changing those top three. And I've come off the wagon of saying that the West will have a third... Team in the playoffs, not feeling that anymore. The two wildcard teams, unless something drastically changes, will come from the East and the North. Rochester is almost eliminated from playoff contention. The Riptide are one loss away from being officially eliminated from playoff contention. And out West, everybody's still alive. But unfortunately, it's a race for those top two spots. Saskatchewan's a game and a half ahead of Colorado, and then Colorado is a half game ahead of San Diego and Calgary, and Colorado is two games ahead on Vancouver. But in the East, it's one game separating first from third, and in the North, it's a half game separating first from third. So I wouldn't be putting money on who you think is going to finish 1, 2, and 3 in those divisions, those two divisions especially, anytime soon. But the games as they were played out really had an effect on those standings. Friday night, New England beats New York 12-8. New York had that game for most of it. But they just kind of ran out of steam late in the third quarter. Callum Crawford helped take over in the fourth And that team found a way to win. Dougie Jameson settled down in between the pipes. Gave his team some confidence and some composure. And the Black Wolves snuck out a victory on the island. New York almost got their second win of the year 24 hours later. But it was the Rochester Nighthawks who became the first new expansion team to two wins. As they win 13-12. Ralphie Hartz, a.k.a. Ryland Hartley, the Nighthawks goaltender, picks up his first ever career National Lacrosse League win. And that's a big moment for the young man. Coming off a Minto Cup, he sat behind Frank Chiliano in San Diego last year. He didn't know where he was going to be this year. He gets picked up in the expansion draft. Rochester kind of flutters between... Craig Wendy and Steve Fryer for the first few weeks. And now they get Rylan Hartley in between the pipes and he earns them a victory. Do they go back to him this weekend? I think they do at least for one of the two games, depending on how he does in the first one, which I imagine he would start would dictate whether he plays back to back. I, It's a tough thing for a goaltender, especially a young goaltender to go back to back. So do they travel with all three goaltenders? Maybe because it is a short turnaround for the Nighthawks this weekend. They're in San Diego Saturday night for a, I believe, 7.30 game. And then they have a 5 p.m. game Sunday afternoon in Colorado. They're going to be up early. It's a quick flight, like an hour and a half or so from San Diego to Colorado. But by the time they land get their gear, get to the airport, sorry, get to the hotel. They're only going to have a few hours for lunch and a nap before they got to get to the arena for game time. So tough weekend for Rochester. I would imagine they split their goaltending up in those two games. Back to week 14. Halifax and Buffalo. The Halifax Thunderbirds are starting to come back down to earth. They start 6-0. And now, lo and behold, They've only won one of their last five. So, is it a sense of teams are starting to understand what Halifax is doing? Are they starting to get a book on Warren Hill? Or maybe just that early season momentum is starting to fade away from the Thunderbirds. They're still a playoff team, they're still a team that can do some damage, but I think they're going to have to maybe have a quick reset. And lucky enough for them, they get another shot at Buffalo this weekend, but their two losses over the course of week 14 in Buffalo and then New England was a real shot in the arm for the Thunderbirds. Like I said, they start 6-0 and and now they stand at 7-4. and I don't want to say there's trouble On the Maritimes. But they do need to write that ship pretty quickly. Because they have some very important games. Coming down the stretch. Georgia goes into Vancouver. And doubles up the Warriors 14-7. San Diego. Defeats Calgary 13-12. We'll talk about that game a little bit more. When we talk about. Goals coming off the magnets. But. That's a huge win for the San Diego Seals. It puts them ahead of Calgary as it stands on simple winning percentages by a .011 percentage. But they have played two more games than the Roughnecks. So Calgary may be in a bit of a more enviable spot. But a win for San Diego nonetheless. Austin Stotts continues to find his groove. And as he said post-game, he's back, baby. As simple as that, he's back. And that is great for the National Lacrosse League. Toronto goes into Saskatoon and hands the Rush another home loss, 9-8. The Rush continue to struggle at home. As they are just 1-3 at SaskTel. That... Is not a recipe for success. But. Having only played four games at home. They still got five more inside the friendly confines. So if they can right that ship. And win a few of those late games at home. They can put themselves in a comfortable position. As they sit atop the NLL West. Colorado knocks off Philadelphia 11-10. They had that game. Comfortably in the bag. But they just kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. And they allowed Philadelphia to score three six-on-five goals in under two minutes to get it to within one. They had a couple looks. But Dylan Ward came up with some key saves late. And the Mammoth get a much-needed win against a outer divisional opponent. They've now won two in a row. They've got Rochester coming to town this weekend before they get a bye week. They, they're they on a, another bye week. They're on a three-game homestand. We've talked about it. They play six of their last eight at home. They've got Rochester this weekend, a bye week, then Calgary, and then a doubleheader of Toronto and New York before coming back for home games against New England and Vancouver. So... Another big game coming up for the Colorado Mammoth. Tyler Digby was phenomenal in his debut. And I completely forgot that Digby and Jacob Ruay had gone to RMU together. What I didn't know is how close of friends they are. And that Rooster was in Digger's wedding party. And when I talked to Jacob Rue Saturday at the game, before the game, I said, how nice is it having a big body out there? He goes it is amazing how much space he creates in just one practice. And in just one shift, how much you could tell the difference he was going to make. It helped that it was a familiar face, a guy that he knew. And he does have some familiarity with some of the other guys. You know, we played in Calgary with Carnes. And so, you know, bringing in Digger wasn't that much of a stretch. And he fit in seamlessly. From the first practice, everybody was in awe at how quickly he picked up the offense, how seamlessly he fit in, and how much of a difference that he made. And when it came to game time, he was f- he was fantastic. Fantastic. And I think that is an incredible pickup For Pat Coyle and and assistant GM Brad Self. They might make a couple moves or a move at the deadline. It'll be interesting to see. They are still looking for a a floor quarterback. But I think Digger really helps settle that offense down. So it'll be interesting to see as you move towards the deadline what they do. But that was a very important win. 11-10 over the wings. And with that win, it drops the wings to seven and five and puts them in a tie for second with Georgia, but they are percentage points behind the swarm. So as it sits right now, Philly is in third in the East Division. The last game we kind of talked about already Sunday, Halifax had to go from Buffalo all the way out to the casino and the black wolves had a day off before b- between their game friday night and sunday they were well rested and they put that rest to good work as they beat new england or sorry as they beat halifax 16 to 10 and for new england two big wins gives them a first place spot in the east they are a game ahead of both georgia and philadelphia at 7 and 3 with 8 games remaining So after week 14, the playoff situations are as such. First place, New England Black Wolf, 7-3. Second, Toronto at 7-3 as well. They are 0-1 versus New England, so New England gets the number one seat. Saskatchewan comes in at number three as they are the leaders in the West. 4, 5, and 6 are Buffalo, Georgia, Colorado. They are the two seeds in their respective divisions. 7 and 8 go to Halifax and Philadelphia. So, as we kind of tease now, as opposed to last week where everything was out of division, three of the four matchups are within the division. Your 1-8 game is New England versus Philadelphia. 2-7 Toronto, Halifax. 3-6 Saskatchewan, Colorado. 4-5 Buffalo-Georgia. The Buffalo-Georgia game is the only one that isn't a division matchup. How unreal would those four games be? New England and Philadelphia, there's history. Toronto and Halifax, there's history. Saskatchewan and Colorado, we know there's history. Even Buffalo and Georgia, there's history when we were just east and west. So a dramatic change from one week to the next in the playoff scenarios after 14 weeks. And we're probably going to see a drastic change in them again after week 15. But that is what's making these new divisions and this new playoff format so much more intriguing. Sure, having two expansion teams pretty much almost already eliminated Going into the final few weeks, take some luster out of it. But that just means those top three teams are going to be battling even harder for those three spots. And as I mentioned, it's almost a safe bet to say that three teams from the East and the North are going to make the playoffs. Only the rush are above 500 out West. So Colorado, San Diego, Calgary, Vancouver are really battling it out either for second or if something miraculous happens, one of them catches Saskatchewan for first. But more so, they're all battling for second, which is going to be an incredible battle. Vancouver slowly fading away, but just a half game between second and third means every game out West is vitally important. For the Rochester Nighthawks, it was an emotional win to get their second one of the season. It was a hard-fought battle. Ryland Hartley made some amazing saves down the stretch. And this is a team that, while five games behind the first-place team in the North, They are still continuing to fight. They are not officially out yet. But, having played 10 games with only 8 remaining, they can get to 10 wins. But it's not going to be easy. And if they drop 2 games this weekend, it will make that task even more insurmountable. They are in San Diego Saturday They are in Colorado on Sunday, and it could dictate whether this team becomes real sellers leading into the deadline. We'll ask GM Dan Carey about that, because they are in a tough position. As an expansion club, do you risk selling some of your key assets to try and regain some more picks, some more youth, or some talent that will help you down the road? Or do you bite the bullet, stick with your veterans, and continue to build a culture within that new franchise? It's a real tough spot to be in because they aren't far off from being a playoff contender in the division. When you look at Rochester's record, sure, they're 2-8, and eight, but they lost to Halifax by a pair. They lost to Toronto by a goal. They lost to Buffalo by a goal. Vancouver by a goal. Like, there's four wins right there. Flip that. Instead of being two and eight, they're six and four. So I don't know if Dan Carey really wants to blow it up. Do you really want to sell the farm and help another team make a run or one of your veterans make a run for a title to get back young prospects or draft picks? When you are this close to being a playoff contending team. It wouldn't surprise me if they moved a goaltender. Having three in the system. But I still don't know if they're set on who's going to be their number one guy. Rylan Hartley may have just secured himself that number one spot with his win last weekend. He'll probably get one of the two starts this weekend. And his general manager has to be impressed with the way he played in his first ever win. He's
1: been good. He's been good all year for us. Um, you know, starting a training camp and practice, um, you know, he's a younger kid and and uh, <laughs> to be thrown into the fire against, you know, the best players in the world, uh, we, we wanted to be cautious with that. So, um, you know, he, he was really patient and, and knowing that, you know, he's a competitive kid and really wanted to get in. He was, you know, we were impressed with him early on with his patience and just being a good teammate. So, um, you know, the last two games he's played, I thought he's, he's done well. Um, I think there's still a lot of room for growth with him, but definitely great to see for him and for us to, to be able to get that win on Saturday.
2: Was that sort of the strategy going into the year with three goaltenders, knowing that you were going to have a couple young guys that you just wanted to make sure that you didn't, like you said, throw them to the fire and, and burn their confidence early on, giving them some time to to grow into those roles?
1: Well, it was it was a an opportunity for us to give guys you know a true test of of pr- proving themselves in training camp and you know we wanted to be honest with that and knowing it's an expansion team we had some veteran players that we knew were going to be on our team uh, but there's a lot of guys that had to come in and prove themselves and, and the goal t- goaltending position was was that um we had you know given the three three goalies you know steve flyer craig wendy and 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 Hartley all an opportunity in training camp, and you know Craig Wendy got the starting game one because we felt he played the best during training camp. Uh, we went with uh, Fryer and and Wendy because we felt like they were more game ready to start of the season, you know, through the first few games. So, um, you know, I think for us it was the, who was going to give us the best chance to win early on, and um, you know, knowing that, uh, that all all three of them have had an opportunity to start games. Um, you know, guys are, are playing well at times. And I think, you know, other times they it's showing that, that, uh, you know, there's still room for development there. So we've got three guys that are capable of, of getting us a win. And, um, you know, that's been one of the things for us is just to try and, you know, get a, get an idea of where we're at, you know, this year short term and, and as well as, you know, what the plan is going to be for long term with our goaltending. How has Pat O'Toole been with those three young guys? Well, you know, everybody uh, here in Rochester knows what Kyle what Kuhl, you know, was, was capable of doing. So um, he's been great. He's been really good with, with these guys. And I think even for, for our staff, watching them in practice, watching them in game, giving us feedback. Um, he sees, you know, as goaltenders sees things that, uh, that the rest of us might not see. So he's been really good, you know, with them and, and with us as well.
2: Uh, let's talk about another one of your key rookies, and that was the number two overall pick, Rylan Reese. Um, watching him progress as the year has gone on, how have you liked his, his process in his first year?
1: Um, I, I think he's flying on the radar big time. Um, I, uh, I do, you know, every now and then look at, uh, you know, look at some of the, I guess, the rankings, and you go through all the rookies, uh, you know, all the stuff on I'm you know, different uh, different websites, but I think he's flying on the radar. I think he's been one of our top defensemen in every game. He's been really consistent. Um, he doesn't show up on the scoreboard as much as uh, people might have thought he was going to, but he he's been a really solid defender for us, and um, he doesn't seem like a rookie in our lineup at all. Uh, he's been, you know, tremendous on the floor and off the floor.
2: I've been really impressed with Corey Highfield this year. He, he's sort of not come out of nowhere as a young rookie, but he's really, you know, been in every game for you guys, and he's given you some quality minutes and some quality transition games as well.
1: Yeah, Corey, he's a kind of a utility guy for us. We can play him offense or defense. Uh, he's been good in transition, and uh, it's basically wherever we need him to play, he's willing to play, and he's able to contribute. So, um, you know, I don't think he's a surprise for us, but he's definitely you know and been, been a guy that we're really happy with you know from the start of the season through to this point and uh, you know I think he's he's going to continue to get better and develop and know that uh that you know those guys are really valuable to be able to um in a pinch you know bring a guy up the front door we had one game which is Buffalo Buffalo, where one of our lefties got hurt in in warm up and he had to go you know he was playing and playing defense that game and and had to go you know play offense with our guys so it's great having him and and he's been, you know, he's been really good for us thus far. Uh,
2: Obviously you guys were involved in a bit of a trade uh, last week, sending or acquiring Dallas Bridal and Dustin Pratt, or sorry, just Dallas Bridal, but you you flip over Dan Littler and Frankie Brown. What was the, the reason behind those moves? And was it just an idea of giving guys an opportunity somewhere else?
1: Well, you did mention Dustin Pratt. So, you know, we got him into his first game this past weekend, we had some younger guys that we felt we wanted to see get some minutes this year and develop. Um, definitely did not want to lose, you know, Frank Brown and Dan Whitner, two great guys, good teammates, and, um, you know, knew they were you know able to contribute for us. But, um, you know, I think our situation, you know, being, you know, with our record where it is, knowing that uh, we want to continue to develop this year, we want to compete and, and win some games, Um, But a guy like Thomas Hogarth was a guy we were really, you know, excited to have the opportunity to get. And knowing that he's out for this year, um, he's going to be a a big contributor for us next year. Um, Again, (laughs) by him not being able to play this year, it gives other guys an opportunity to to get in the lineup and and contribute and see where they are and see where they're going to fit in, you know, short-term and long-term for us. As we approach this, this trade deadline,
2: Obviously, you guys are are in a tough spot. Haven't lost five in a row. You're sorry. You, you just broke that losing streak. You, you've got that one win. You're kind of trying to climb up, but you're in a pretty unenviable spot. Do you see yourselves as sellers as we approach this deadline? And our teams kind of contacting you for anybody?
1: Um, I think at any point we're always you know willing to do what we think is going to make our team better. Um, I don't. I don't know. How many guys were willing to, you know, to give up? And again, I, I, we had to trade two players uh, to, in order to get a couple of players that we felt were um, were going to help us. So, uh, if if that opportunity arises again it, it's going to help us, uh, we're we're definitely going to explore that. But um, you know, I think for us, we we really like the core group guys that we have, and we're excited to to build around them. Um, so I'm I'm in a situation. Where you know where we have to consider everything, but um, you know I, I don't know, sellers buyers at this point. We we want to we want to get better, and in order to do that, sometimes you know we we have to make those those and those transactions. But um, at this point, I think we're gonna wait and see how the next I guess week and a half times plays out.
2: As a GM of a brand new franchise, how has the growing pain been?
1: uh you know what we we're excited about the the group of players that we have and the culture that we've created and and I think a lot of that goes you know to our our coaching staff and our leadership group um We've got a solid foundation for what we believe and know that uh that we're training in the right direction um one of the losses that uh the we're, we're really difficult to handle, and we've got a really competitive group you know from everybody involved our our you know training staff, our coaches, our planners, myself everybody involved just just really wants to win so you know with our record it's it's hard to to enjoy it at times uh um, but talking with our guys and our veterans they believe in what we're what we're building here and and that means a lot to me and it means a lot to the rest of our staff so um, it's been difficult and, you know, I, I didn't expect this to be, to be the situation. Um, you know, two and eight, I think a couple, a couple more wins that we, um, that we felt we could have had. Maybe it's a little different story, but we're taking it game by game and, and just wanting to continue to improve. Um, going through the growing pains this year, maybe it helps us next year. Um, but also it helps us at the end of this year when we start playing some more meaningful lacrosse. Um, you know, we do have quite a few rookies in our lineup that are are gaining that experience and whether it's a win or a loss, I think, you know, the losses will will kinda of create that bitter taste in their notes and know that they don't want to do that for very long. So, um, you know, we're we're happy with the culture, we're really happy with our players and and what they bring to, to our organization and know that uh, you know, they're they're not okay with this and neither are we, but um, sometimes you got to go through, you know, these these difficult times, university and, um, and the growing pains, in order to, to to get better in the future.
2: Have the fans accepted that ideology as well? Because you know they they were a, a fan base that have been around the National Crossing longer than both you and I, and probably most of the guys within your organization as it is. But have the fans understood that? And I know they're they're very passionate about the Rochester night offs and and the NLL, but are they understanding that it's going to take time with a new new club?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, any conversations I've had with them, uh, we've got a, a group of fans that have been, you know, fans of the NLL for a long time here in Rochester, and any conversations I've had, they understand. They know that this is going to take some time. Um, you know, again, I don't know if we're that far off. I think we, you know, by going through this process and going through our losses, it's going to help us. Uh, we still have, you know, a, a lot of game left there are a lot of games left throughout the, the end of the season here. So we're going to, we're going to take it one game at a time and just see, see where we end up at the end of the year. But yeah, our fans, um, you know, in general, I think their feedback has been good. And yeah, I don't think they're, they're okay with, um, you know, a, a losing team, but knowing that we're an expansion team, I, I'm, I'm certain that, that they understand that that's part of the process here. Um, you know, they might uh, some of them are going to have their own opinion, and that's fine. That's you know, that's that's important to to you know have a passionate fan base that has you know an idea of what they want to see, and um, we're we're working towards you know being a team that you know they can take a lot of pride in.
2: A big weekend for you guys out west. We take on San Diego Saturday night, then have a quick turnaround to play a mid-afternoon game Sunday against Colorado. As general manager, how important is it to make sure that that travel and the luxuries of, you know, hotel and food and, and buses, it, it, how important is that to make sure that that is all taken care of for your guys so they don't have to worry about that stuff. They can just play their games, have a nap, and then go out and do it again.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it, there's a lot of variables right throughout a weekend and uh, traveling in and out. So we're, we're doing our best to make sure that the guys are prepared as possible, and and they do their thing right. We've got a, a group of, of professionals here and guys that that have been doing this for quite some time. Um, so the younger guys who, who haven't had this a weekend like this before, uh, where it's back to back and it's traveling both ways. So um, our our, our two guys are able to. Kind of show our young guys away. Um, you know, it's important for us to make sure that the guys are prepared. We take it one game at a time, and um, right now we're looking at uh, our game against San Diego on Saturday. Um, we've got everything organized for for the trip back um, to Colorado on Sunday, so we we do we can, and, and it's one of those things that it is what it is. We we kind of deal with it and um, prepare as much as possible
2: how special will Sunday be returning to Colorado for
1: the first time? I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I, the, the Colorado and, and the mammoth means a lot to me, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's another opportunity for us uh, to, to, you know, play, play in a loudhouse, right. That's a, that's an experience in itself for our younger guys. So, I'm looking forward to that, to watching our guys be able to compete on that floor and knowing that, uh, that it's not an easy place to play. It's a a difficult place and, uh, their, their crowd and the fans are, are, you know, something that they, they can really take advantage of, of the energy that they get from. it. so, um, it'll be a good experience for our guys and, and we're looking forward to going in there and competing against a, a really difficult team that, you know, I think they're, uh, they're really polished to get great coaches and a ton of respect for that whole organization.
2: Before I let you go, a uh, little breaking news here on, on a Wednesday, uh, your social club just put out that Liam Osborne and Cam Milligan have been signed. Um, adding some, some young shooters to your offense, just bolstering where you guys are and seeing what guys can fit in.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we saw Sean Evans last weekend. So we're, we're in a situation where we, we kind of need the next guy in to, to help us. Um, so those two guys, we felt were, were, you know, worth an opportunity or wanted to give them an opportunity to come in and, um, not too sure what the lineup will look like for, for either game, but, um, they'll most likely have a good opportunity and, you know, ahead of them this weekend. So we've got, uh, we got a few guys that are that are injured right now and we're, we're trying to make the most of this and, um, kind of have that mixed up mentality, and those two guys are, are going to come in and um, hopefully they can they can help us get a couple wins.
0: there's Dan Carey, general manager of the Rochester Nighthawks, and you know bringing over some young bodies. They'll you know, have Thomas Hogarth fresh and healthy. Hopefully next year, it's safe to say that Dan Carey's not sitting idly by with a two and eight club. They needed to move some bodies, they needed to open up some holes, they needed to make some moves. And moving on from Frank Brown and Dan Lintner couldn't have been easy, but you have to think about the future. And so that's why I think it's going to be a very, very interesting trade deadline for the Nighthawks. I don't know if the Riptide have enough assets to be true sellers. They might have one or two guys that some teams may covet. But I just don't know if now is the time for Reggie Thorpe to really sell the farm. And I truly don't think it's the time for Dan Carey to sell the farm. Because Dan did an incredible job in the expansion draft and in the entry draft building a foundation. I think we all can agree that Within those two drafts, Rochester was more successful than New York. And because of that, we are seeing the Nighthawks have more success on the floor than the Riptide. So as we approach the deadline, which is next Tuesday, the 17th, I think we have to be very aware of What teams are building for the future? What teams are building for now? And what teams can do to solidify themselves where they sit currently? You're either building for the future or you're building for now. And there are some rumblings that there could be some major moves. I haven't heard too many of them. I'm just going on what some other people are relaying. That there are talks. Now I've talked to a few GMs out there about what they want to do and case in point Toronto. They're going to get Jones back. They're going to get Schreiber back. They're going to get healthy. So it doesn't seem like they are a team that is going to be buyers or sellers. I think once you get Schreiber and Jones back, it's like being buyers. But there are some other teams that have a lot of draft picks stocked up. There are teams that have a lot of depth. And there are teams that have some guys that would be quality assets on other clubs because they're they're just too far down the depth chart right now. I'm excited for this trade deadline because with these new divisions and the way the playoffs are going to work out, I don't know if we're going to be able to You know, in years past, when we got to this deadline, there was already three, four, five teams that were essentially out of playoff contention. And now, truly, there's only going to be two, most likely, as we hit the deadline. So everybody will still have that mentality that they are in it, and that they are competitors, and that they are a viable shot for the title. So that could curtail some of the major wheeling and dealings. But if you are a team that has depth and or draft picks. And you can splash the pot. I think we could be seeing something major happen. I'd love to see it. I love seeing massive moves at deadlines. Mostly because I just love talking about that stuff and as an analyst and as a broadcaster gives us something to talk about and dissect. But I just think it's it's great for the game when change happens. And when star players move around or draft picks get flip-flopped and depth guys are relocated. Sometimes it sucks for those guys cuz they have to, you know, uproot their livelihood and they got to change things around, but Big trades make me happy. And hopefully at the deadline, we might see something. I was thoroughly happy with the Tyler Digby trade. I thought the Buffalo Rochester was a great trade for both clubs. And I'll be interesting to see what other trades happen as we get closer and closer to the March 17th deadline. Before we get to Mr. Luxurious Mitch Belisle, let's get you the Week 15 schedule. In the National Cross League. Eight games. Four Saturday. Four Sunday. Nothing to do on Friday night. So make sure you rest up. And charge all of your watching devices. New England at Philadelphia. A huge. Huge. East division matchup. In Philadelphia. Georgia versus New York. Another East division matchup. But as we kind of mentioned. With a win by Georgia. New York would officially be eliminated From playoff contention. Vancouver at Saskatchewan in an Alterna Cup match. And then Rochester at San Diego rounds out Saturday's action. And I will be in attendance for that game. Running alongside my good buddy Doug Locker. I will be doing play-by-play. It's John Schaefer unavailable. Excited to get down to Southern California. Haven't been down there since the Anaheim days. Get to work with my good buddy Lockdog. So we'll have that call for you on BR Live. Of course, all the games on BR Live. Georgia versus New York is your game of the week. Free on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. Sunday, Buffalo at Halifax. A rematch of last Saturday's game. This time it is in Halifax. The Thunderbirds looking for a bit of redemption. Another alternative cup game, Calgary versus Toronto. This is one of the best rivalries still in the National Lacrosse League. Two of the longest standing or the two longest standing Canadian franchises in the league. They have never liked each other. They have never gotten along, and they always lead to some incredible matchups. We talked about the importance of the games out east on Saturday. Well, Philadelphia and Georgia will go to battle. On Sunday, which could be a battle for first place, depending on what happens in the other games. And then the final game of the weekend, Rochester at Colorado. Um, I'm not flying with the Nighthawks, but we'll all be flying from San Diego to the Mile High City. Hopefully there are no delays and we all get in nice and early so we can catch some mod market lunch and a pregame nap before a 5 o'clock game at the Loud House as the Mammoth look for their third straight win and try to create some separation and close the gap in the West. So again, all those games on BR Live, your game of the week, Georgia at New York, free on BR Live Twitter and Facebook. Now, we talked about the struggles of the New York Riptide and how they are in a real tough spot One loss away from being eliminated in their first year of existence. But it has been a tumultuous season for the Riptide. They have been up and down. They haven't had a lot of success. But they've been getting better as the year went on. When you look at their first two games, even their first three games, they lose to Halifax 12-4. They lose to Vancouver 14-10. And then they lose to New England 21-11. And go a game further, they lose to Saskatchewan 11-4. So those first four games, really a lot of getting to know one another, getting to understand their coach and GM, getting to understand what it's like to be a part of an expansion franchise. But since then, they have closed the gap in those games. A three-goal loss to Philadelphia, a one-goal win over Georgia, a four-goal loss to San Diego, a four-goal loss to Calgary, A five goal loss to Georgia, a four goal loss to New England, and then that one goal loss to New York. They are within a handful of goals in pretty much every game now. And that comes down to a few posts, a few extra loose balls, and a couple lucky bounces. If they can start to get some things going their way, and just build some confidence over these last few weeks, it's going to go a really long way in helping this organization in the future. And I really think they need some wins on home floor just to leave a less bitter taste in the mouths of their new fans. They play four of their final six games at home. They need to start to win those games but it's not going to be easy. They've got Georgia this weekend. They've got Philadelphia and Colorado over the next couple weeks. Then their final three games are against Toronto, New England, and Buffalo. So just looking on paper, there's, there isn't an easy game in the lot. There's no Rochester. There's no struggling clubs. Every team they're playing is a top three team in their division. So for New York, it's going to be all about heart and character and the will to win over these final six weeks or so. And Mitch Belial, their color commentator, has been able to watch this group very closely. And he's a guy that's been around this league for a long time. He's been a part of expansion clubs. He's been a part of relocated clubs. He's been a part of brand new teams, new organizations, new coaches, new players, new fans. He's seen it all. So he understands what the riptide are going through. But he still has hope for this club. And I think that hope and belief rides through the entire organization. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of concerns. But I don't think it's a moment of panic. They are a brand new club. There were always going to be growing pains. And as we kind of talked about, they didn't have the best expansion draft. They didn't have the best entry draft. Those are all learning experiences for an organization. They can only get better from here. And Mitch Blau thinks that there are a lot of opportunities for them to get better.
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway that I have is you're seeing flashes of brilliance every game and some longer than others. And, and that's, that's I think, what Coach Thorpe and Coach Smith and, and Coach Abrams are focusing on is you know when they stick to the systems and execute well, this team is playing really well with anybody. And then they just have those lapses that a lot of times I think are based on youth and an experience and guys getting used to each other. Um, And in this league, teams are so good that they're going to capitalize on those. And so that's where they've, you know, gone into the big holes and on some runs. And that's what's really, you know, made it difficult for them to win more games, I think, is going in those, making those little lapses that turn into runs and then then not being able to claw back, even though they've given a, a big effort every time to come out of those. They've only
2: been blown out of uh, really a couple games. Sure, there, there's the odd game that the that, that decision is, you know, four or five goals. But this is a team that, that continues, like you said, to, to show flashes of brilliance and a lot of confidence in each other. They're not far away from getting that second win.
3: I think they're right there. Um, they, they That Rochester one was a was a tough one, especially with Dan Lomas' effort there at the end to put the team on his back. Um, but yeah, I think I think they're knocking on the door. I, I I would be shocked if they don't get a few more wins this season. And I think really end of the season out here. I'd love to see them, you know, go net positive in their remaining games. And I think that's possible. That figure out like how to be more consistent and how to play with each other.
2: Yeah, they got four of their last. What's that? Six games are at home or seven games are at home obviously a lot of people will look at the optics uh, of playing on Long Island and they'll look at the box score and they'll see what the attendance has been listed and they'll see the the empty seats on BR Live and this is a league that has been known for expansion teams struggling attendance-wise. What's been the overall takeaway from fans in the area about the Riptide?
3: I I think the big thing is the awareness factor. Um, It it just takes some time and it's... it takes a little bit of time to get everyone to, you know, one, realize, that, oh, wow, box Lacrosse is back on the island, and then, okay, when is the season? So I think the people who are in are all in. They're super excited. You can see it. They're lining up for autographs after games. Um, there's so many ties to the lacrosse community locally in the New York metro region that it's like it's going to happen. It's just it takes a little bit of time, and, and I don't think anyone expected it to be an overnight success, including the owners, and they're in it for the long haul. So, they're excited about it, especially about the things that the Riptide players who are living in market are doing in the community, and uh, I, I'm confident it's going to continue to get better and better. Um, but it's a building process, just like the team is.
2: You've been around this league for a long time. Is this a franchise that's going to find some stability over the next couple of years?
3: You know, I think with any expansion team, especially in a league that's continuing to grow, it gets harder and harder to get those marquee players um And I think the way that it's, especially with the Digby trade, that they're looking to the long-term future and growth, uh, that with the commitment of the ownership group, like they're going to be poised if they draft well to have success down the road. And you look at a team like the Swarm that I was part of, that was a long-term plan put in place by John and and Andy Arlotta. And you look at the guys now on that team, and it's like first-round pick. First, I think something like when I was calling that game, something like 12 or 14 of their uh, top performers are, are first round draft picks over the course of eight to 10 years. So, I, you know, it's a long game here. And, and I think they're doing a good job it, but you're obviously going to take your lumps at the beginning of that.
2: How important have, have some of the veterans guys, you know, Daniel Omens is now really starting to get, you know, some playing time. He talked, he had six goals in his last game. He's really took that team on his back, but even guys like Kieran McCarter, who now is looked at as a veteran, Andrew Suter. And of course, captain Dan McCray, how important have they been for the young guys of this organization? Cause you need those experienced veteran type players to help bring a young team along.
3: Yeah. And I think most importantly is the positivity because it's, it's easy to get down on yourself and each other when you're, when you're losing games. So having guys that are not only veterans and have the experience, but also can, can keep things positive, can keep the team together. I think that's a big piece of it, and they've got a good crew in those guys that you mentioned, John Rannigan and, and mm-hmm. Andrew Suter. Uh, so, like, stay, staying the course and seeing the bigger picture, having those guys with so much experience, I think, is, is crucial to that. But keeping that positivity in the locker room, that that's one thing that is, has been stressed to me by the guys that I've talked to, and that makes a big difference, especially when you're going through those, those learning curves of the first year.
2: I remember when the Black Wolves drafted Miles Jones last year, I was super excited hoping that he would make the commitment to the indoor game he obviously didn't do that last year Reggie has been able to get him come out for for the last four games how have you liked his indoctrination into the indoor game
3: I I think he's progressed almost exactly as I expected um I I was very high on that as well I was I am still excited about him being in the league I think it just takes time and reps, and unfortunately in this league, the only way to get reps are in game Ooh. for the most part. So, um, you know, watching the game most recently last weekend, I, I like saw two prime examples of playing much, much better, exceptional two-man two game defense, and then I saw him make two mistakes with subbing on and not checking the, the far door first. So it's like those are the things that, like, it's hard to watch film and know to look directly out the O door to make sure that they're not getting a break. But once you learn that, you can be sure that he's not going to make that mistake again. I think, for me, watching him, he's not making the same mistake twice, um, or two games in a row at least, you know, and that that's the indicator that he's getting better and better in each facet, and as he makes those mistakes, he learns from it, shores it up, and gets better. And with his physicality, just that two-man game, he literally throws picks out of the way, throws guys through that. So he's going to be a force, and then he's also – Knocked on the door on scoring several times. I think he's going to break that seal here in the next week or two.
2: Who's been the more impressive, Tyson Gibson or Gale Thorpe?
3: I think Tyson Gibson is just a little bit more uh, well-rounded and has a little bit more touch. But Gale Thorpe has been a guy that just, I feel like, his strength and poise under pressure situations is, is, has been really impressive to me. Um, so I think they've both been good in their own way, but but I think Tyson's a little bit more polished and, and is is set up to be a future superstar. I think Dale is going to be like a you know a steady contributor, the, if not a superstar down the line. But it just might take a few more years for him to develop.
2: It probably can't be easy being a second round pick on an expansion team and have your dad as the head coach and GM on the bench constantly watching over your shoulder. That can't be easy for the kid.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, just knowing Reggie and and seeing Gale, I I don't think it's too big of a deal. I mean, I think he's he's been coaching him since he was a little kid, and he knows what to expect. I'm sure there's uh, there's elements of it that are a little weird, but I I think based on their history of father son coaching duo, it's it's uh, it's something they're used to. The, the, the Gibson thing might be a little weirder going against your dad.
2: Yeah, true enough. True enough.
3: Um. Alex Woodall was
2: fantastic this weekend um, at the face-off dot, and he continues to go against the best of the best. And there was a nice little uh, head-to-head with Joe Nardella on the first game of the weekend when, you know, the two guys from the Faceoff academy going toe-to-toe. We're starting to see the Americans, field guys especially, the, the draw guys, have the success in the indoor game at that position. Is that going to be a, a niche role where Americans can really kind of carve their groove at the face-off in the indoor
3: game? I, I think yes and no. I mean, you look at Jake Withers and, you know, he's absolutely dominating. If I correct me if I'm wrong, but he's Canadian. Yeah,
2: um, that's true story. so true
3: so There's certainly more guys focused on the face-off in, in, in the American game. I think, yes, right now there is that niche market, but you're seeing more and more Canadian guys that are specializing in face-off and I, for me, I always, you know, with playing on an Eddie Como coach team for a long time. Our main priority on the faceoff is just don't get scored on on the faceoff. So it was almost like you're going to get the possession back in in 20 seconds if you do your job defensively. So don't worry about it. Um, Reggie Thorpe's take is that hey, we're, we're we might not have the most skilled possessions every time, so we're going to want to take every possession we have. So I I think both theories are good, but it has been. But back to the the question, I I think. It has been awesome to see these American guys get in the league with that, but most importantly, most of these guys are learning the box game and getting better at it, and I think that is doable on the defensive side. As you've seen, Trevor Baptiste is contributing on, you know in transition a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Woodall has just gotten better and better defensively every game, and, and then Nardella has, has been playing for a long time in that Boston box league and, and has continued to get better. So, yeah, I think it's a great like, door in for a lot more Americans and, um, and provides that opportunity.
2: How much fun are you having calling games? I know it's different than, than being a part of games and putting the gear on and being in the locker room with the guys going to war, but it's a completely different animal to have to prepare and, and have yourself ready to call a game. How much fun are you having?
3: It's a lot of fun. I've got a great partner, and Dave Leno, our play by play guy, and, and Danny Wexelman. They make my life super easy. I get to just talk about the fun parts of the game. Um, so you know, not being beat up in the morning and, and getting to uh, you know leave my house an hour before the game or a couple hours before the game and get home the same night. That that those elements are things that make it even more with a small with a growing family. And uh, even though my son does say be Dave Leno every time we play, look my three year old says be Dave Leno. play by play guy can be my myself when I announce <laughs> him him scoring goals in the basement, but. um but no, it's it's a blast, and like I said, I'm just lucky to have a great broadcast team that make it super easy for me, and and uh, and then I've just had a lot of fun getting to watch the team continue to grow. Obviously, wins are more fun, but close games are, are always great, and uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the success continue to grow with the Riptide.
2: What was the trade from Georgia to New York that got you there? I didn't see the transaction release.
3: Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was mostly basic. So I took a year off of of just not the travel was the main thing that got me got me over there. And New York reached out this year, and I I felt like the time was right. My two boys are a little bit older, um, and so with the, the proximity to home and the ability to sleep in my own bed each night, it, it made it a no brainer for me. So I was really excited about getting involved.
2: Do people still ask you about the hit?
3: They. <laughs> They do. Typically, it's like two or three times after meeting me when they say, wait, I, I just saw something, you know, or someone showed me this. It's never the first time. It's always like when they realize who I am, they put it together. It's it's kind of funny.
2: Those Boston Blazer days were, were an interesting time in the National Cross League. It was when the league was sort of starting a, a new expansion to different markets. What do you remember uh, about those Blazer days? Because that was a really fun team to be a part of.
3: Yeah, we had a great group, and, you know, Dave Tawson, Casey Powell, Shooter, Sanderson was on that team at one point. We we had such a, a cool crew. Being in the city, we were, like, uh, two blocks away from the Garden. Um, that was a – and, and frankly, my full-time job was doing community relations with the team. So that was a pretty – and that, that really brings me back when I see these Riptide guys that are doing similar things to those days. So – that was just some of the most fun I've had. You know, living in the house with the guys, getting out in the community, talking about box across, and then and then playing in in the Boston Garden. Um, it was it was a special time in life, and something that I certainly it's fun kind of getting those flashbacks when I'm when I'm at the at the Coliseum and and talking with the guys who are living in Market and doing similar things that I was 10 years ago
2: before I let you go, obviously the, the growth of lacrosse is huge throughout North America. We have the NLL, the PLL, the MLL, where do you see lacrosse going in the next four five, ten years?
3: I think you're seeing it slowly happen where guys are able to do this on a full-time basis, uh, uh professionally. And then, you know, just growing to markets that maybe hadn't ex- had exposure to lacrosse before getting, getting new opportunities, get sticks in hands. Um, It's only going to grow, but I think it's important that the players are still and the coaches are still good ambassadors of the game, and that's one thing we're really lucky to have right now is that community aspect and community feel to it. Um, Professionally, my full-time gig is working with Trilogy Lacrosse, and we run events and coach kids all over the country. So more groups that are doing things the right way to spread the game and and get access to kids that maybe didn't have access before or hadn't seen the sport before, I think – I think those will all be steps to, to getting more sticks in and hands and, and continuing to grow the game all around.
2: A big game against Georgia this weekend. Uh, you and Dave will have the call on BR Live. Uh, enjoy it, have some fun, and hopefully the Riptide can get a win against your former club.
3: Appreciate that. Their one win is against the Swarm, so they've figured out a way to do it before, and uh, good luck with, with the Mammoth going forward this season, Teddy.
0: That's Mitch Belisle, Mr. Luxurious. Color commentator for the New York Riptide, and he will have the call along with Dave Leno on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. It is the NLL game of the week, Riptide versus Swarm. And as you heard him say, their one win this year came against the Georgia Swarm. Dan McCray with the overtime winner, the captain. Can they do it again? Well, They go back into their memory banks. They can look back to that film and see what worked and what didn't. And hopefully they can put all that together in a winning combination. As we kind of dissected and talked about before. The first month was a struggle. The last three months, they've made strides and progress to become a better group. Tyson Gibson has been fantastic. Losing Tyler Digby doesn't exactly help. But it opens the door for guys like Travis Longboat to really step up and show that they have what it takes to be an NLL player. And when you give those young guys those opportunities to exceed and success, and then you really get a chance to see what you have. Dan Lomas is going to become their number one guy. Connor Kelly is going to start to figure out the indoor game a little bit more. Jean-Luc Chetner going to get some more reps, going to start to figure that game out. We just talked about Longboat. Kieran McCardo may be struggling in his new role with this club, having a down year from his first few seasons in Toronto. But again, there there could be a lot of pressure on Kieran McCardo. Being a Long Island guy, coming over and, you know, kind of being a a pseudo-face of that franchise, being a local boy, there's probably a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, I I asked Mitch who's been more impressive, Gibson or Gale Thorpe. Obviously, stats-wise, it's Gibson. And we kind of talked about, is there pressure on Gale? And I don't think there is. I think Gale's just kind of learning the NLL game and what it's all about. I think we'll see a great second year from a guy like Gale Thorpe. And I think... Kieran McCarter will have a better second year on Long Island. Their biggest weakness truly for me, and I think a lot of people will agree, is between the pipes. Which wouldn't surprise me to see them go after one of Rochester's three goaltenders. Maybe see if Steve is available and they can bring him to try and shore up between the pipes. But while there are a lot of losses for the Riptide, there are still a lot of things to positively build upon. And when you look towards the 2020 21 season, obviously the number one overall draft pick will be huge. Everyone believes it's going to be Jeff Teat. There are rumors that De Hulk and Nanakoke might come out. So he might be able to work his way into that number one spot. There are some. T- there is a lot of talent coming out this year. There are a lot of guys that people are going to be pining for in those first few coveted spots in the draft. So it'll be a very interesting offseason for the Riptide, and it'll be a very interesting trade deadline for the Riptide to see what they do. But Mitch Blyle, he's he's a smart man. And if he believes that this club can find a couple wins in those Final six games, I'm not one to doubt them. I don't think it's going to be easy by any means. But they've beaten Georgia once. They've been close to beating some other top-tier teams already this year. Like I said, it's just a couple of bounces. um, A post shot that goes in instead of to the corner. An extra loose ball possession. An extra face-off win you put a couple shifts together and you might be able to surprise some teams and and upset a couple clubs and sneak a few more wins under their belt before the season is finally over. As always great chatting with Mitch Belisle. Uh, I love that guy. He's done an incredible job making the transition from player to broadcaster. And I think there are more guys that are out there that will be able to make that transition. Um, I mentioned the strip podcast with Mike Poolin and the boys. Uh, Mike Poolin is a guy that will have a future in broadcasting. If he so chooses down the road, that guy can wax poetic with a mic in his hand. Before we get out of here, um, there's been a reoccurring issue. Well, it's an issue in the national lacrosse league for decades because we don't anchor the goal to the turf or to, the wood or padding underneath the turf. Yes, there are magnets to semi-hold it in place, but any bump and the net comes off its moorings and off its line. And in the past couple of weeks, we've seen some very close calls with goals being bumped off, shots being taken that may or may not have crossed the virtual plane of the goal. There are rules about this, there are stipulations, there are idiosyncrasies to the rules that make it very questionable. And because we don't have all the technology to draw a imaginary plane when we look at replays, it's going to be tough to decide whether the ball actually crossed the virtual plane of the goal when the goal is knocked off. It's happened to Philadelphia against San Diego. It happened to Calgary against San Diego. It's happened to every team in league history. The question is how do we avoid these situations? And in talking with Paul Day this past weekend, when we were kind of remarking about what happened in the Calgary-San Diego game and Frank Chiliano, the question became, is there not a way to put pegs in the posts? Much like they do in the National Hockey League. Four, five-inch peg, soft plastic or soft rubber that has give to it. The question then becomes, how do you keep it in place, There used to be a time where NLL teams would just put the turf right over top of the ice. I believe most teams now put some sort of either quarter-inch rubber mats or quarter-inch plywood down to protect the ice so that it goes turf, protection, then ice. If that is the case, then there needs to be—there should be a way— to secure these pegs to the wood, cut a hole where the magnets are in the turf, put the rubber or plastic pegs through those holes and then put the net on top, slide them on top of the pegs like they do in the NHL. I've talked to a few goaltenders, I've talked to a few general managers and players about this idea. Because as... Goaltenders become more active. The game gets faster. Guys continue to crash the crease. This happens multiple times a game. And it is incredibly hard for a goaltender to have to react to his net being off. And do you reach back and grab the post to try and pull it back on? Do you just stay there and play your angles like you normally would? As a shooter, do you just shoot for the net at where it is? Or do you try and score of where the virtual plane is? There are so many variables to this so that if we did put pegs from the floor through the turf into the posts it might alleviate some of those issues now it then turns into a player safety issue now i'm not talking about solid rod pipes here like and it's not going from the turf all the way to the top of the pipe it's just it could even be like a couple of inches so that there is still A little bit of give and a little bit of leeway when a goaltender goes post to post it can kind of bump up but we have to make sure that the players are safe and the comments that I've gotten from players especially goaltenders are um, a finding a way to more the pegs through the turf to the wood or the rubber safety for players crashing that on breakaways or dives And of course, goaltender safety. Obviously, those are all major factors in all of this. But I think it would take some of those moments where the net is a foot off the pipe or a foot off the goal line. And we have these cases where we have referees trying to watch the plane of the goal with bodies crashing through the crease as he looks at a frame by frame replay. I really think this will be something the competition committee looks at during the off season because it's becoming more and more of a factor and becoming more of and more of a game changer as the game continues to speed up. And we always want the officials to get the call right. And you never really can tell if a goaltender does it on purpose. Sure, there are the drastic cases where a goalie pushes the net off and it's pretty cut and dry. But when a goaltender has to go post to post to make a save and then falls into his net, how do you know if he's specifically throwing an arm out to push the net off? Or how do you know if he's purposely backing into the net to knock it off its line? It's not cut and dry. It is always going to be a judgment call. Sure, we could, you know, like the NFL does, and they have the the first down yard marker, and they superimpose that over the screen. There might be a way to superimpose a goal line when we're looking at replays. But we all know how we're still miles away from getting 100% calls right on replays anyway, because not every arena has the same replay systems. I don't know if there's an easy fix, but I think this needs to be a talking point during the off season. I know people are discouraged with it and they are calling for referees heads and they're calling for changes to be made now. I, that's not going to happen. This is going to be an off-season decision. This is going to be a competition committee. This is going to be a board of governors discussion. Something needs to be done to make this a simpler scenario. I am all for player safety. I don't ever want to see anybody crash into the post and get hurt. But there needs to be some sort of breakaway system that will keep the net on the majority of the time. And not come off its line so easy. Because it's only going to add to the confusion. It's only going to add to the vitriol that fans and players have towards the officials. And it's just going to cause a lot more headaches than it's going to cause any good. I don't have the solution. But there are people trying to find solutions. And trying to imagine ideas and scenarios and possibilities to keep, A, to keep the Nets stable and on the goal line, but also to find a better replay system or a solution for these situations when it comes to replays. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I, I think Brian Lemon uh, will have a tough task trying to find find a solution to that. Um, but I also think he's got... Bigger fish to fry. There was a moment in the Colorado game this weekend where an official had his hand up to call a penalty. It looked like a penalty to me on Tyler Digby for I believe it was a high stick. And then all of a sudden he put his arm down and didn't call a penalty. The Philadelphia bench went absolutely bananas. And then Colorado came down and scored on the same play and they went even more bananas. So... There are a lot bigger fish to fry, but I think this goal post, goal line, virtual goal scenario is something that is going to be drastically looked at during the offseason because we need to find a solution. Yes, it is a very rare NLL thing to to have a rule where the net can be all the way in the corner. And if you shot the ball over where the goal was supposed to be, you're going to score a goal. It's a weird rule. It is a antiquated rule. There needs to be a solution found out, drummed up, brainstormed to make this a little easier for everybody involved, easier and safer for everybody involved. Soapbox off. Uh, Thanks to Dan Carey. Thanks to Mitch Belial, and as always, thanks to you, the loyal listener, for tuning in to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, Spotify, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. I'll see you in San Diego, Seals fans, Mammoth fans, as long as my flights are on time. I will see you Sunday. Enjoy the games, everybody, and until next week, be excellent to each other. I am an alcohol.
3: I